This is Sober Company, a podcast about modern sobriety. My name is Lacey. My name's Nick. And today we're talking about your first 90 days. Very important landmark in your quest for sobriety. Yeah, 90 days is a lot. Yeah. I mean, like when I was first getting sober, I was like, oh my God, 90 days, that's a lot. Um, Yeah. Yeah, and we got this amazing email from one of our listeners and we thought we would share it. That was the impetus behind this episode. We had a listener write in and ask us what the tools, and I'm just reading directly from the email here, what tools and practices would you say are important to develop or start investigating in your first 30 to 90 days? What does a recovery tool kit or putting together a recovery practice even look like? What does the work look like for beginners? And, you know, I think obviously we're in a specific period of time where there aren't in-person meetings and you can't get out there and like take exercise classes or do some of the other healthy behavior that you might do when you are getting sober more during a quote-unquote more normal time. But, you know, I think it's a great time to get sober. Anytime is a great time to get sober, but, you know. But why do they say that? Like, why do they say 90 days? I think it has to do with something with your brain, how your brain. Yeah, it's not like just a sobriety thing, too. It's like a a lot of like habits. Okay. Like even at work, there's a book called like the first 90 days. Oh, really? When you start a new job, it's like the first 90 days are super crucial. It's like when you're building like the new habits or like this new reputation or like whatever it is, you're cultivating this new version of yourself. Uh And so like getting off to a start and kind of like really putting some foundation in there, I think can kind of like set you up for the rest of your like tenure experience. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, AA, they do that thing first 90 and 90 where you go on a meeting every oh, yeah, single right. day. Yeah. Did you do that ever? I did do that. Yeah. My sponsor made me do that. And, uh, yeah, it was good. Uh, cause you get to go check out a ton of meetings. Yeah. Um, so that was interesting. Uh, and uh, actually in New York, there was this one beginner meeting and everyone sat at this table for 90 days and you only got to not sit at the table after you got through 90 it's days. It's like the kid's table at Thanksgiving. Yeah, but it was cool because then you get like, I don't know, it's like your cohort. And right, you're all like it's like freshman up class together. or you something. You know what I mean? So like some of the people I got really close to were those people who were there at that mm. table, like going through the first 90. So I know, you, you know, you mentioned like we're in quarantine and we're not having in-person things like that, but like having an accountability buddy, like even now, super crucial, I think. Yeah. Well, let's go, let's kind of like walk people through what we expect to talk about in this episode in general. Oh yeah. Okay, yeah. cool. So basically, you know, obviously we're not ex. Obvious, obviously we're not experts, but we're going to speak from our own personal experience and in reflection, what has worked for us. And I think it's talking about the relationships you can make in the sobriety world, whether it be a sponsor or friendship or whatever, and what that looks like. And recovery, a sobriety toolkit, you know, picking up behaviors, noticing what works for you, you know, in in crucial moments where you have cravings, how to deal with that. And what else? Meetings. This seems like a lot. (laughs) There's a lot. There's a lot. We've got lots of stuff. So buckle up. Oh, and one more thing. We really recommend that you speak to a medical professional, a doctor, before you stop 
drinking because detoxing from alcohol can be very serious. It can kill you. Uh, No joke. So there are different options that they could recommend, including maybe outpatient or inpatient, or there are other options as well, I'm sure, but really best to have that conversation with a medical professional so they can tell you what to expect and what to look like and how to take care of yourself because you want to set yourself up for success. But like, what's the first thing you did when you were like, okay, I'm going to get sober now? I, um, I found a therapist. That was my first time. Find a therapist. Oh, okay. All right. All right. Yeah, because like when you say like your first 90 days, it seems like a lot. Like I was saying, it seems daunting to me. And then it's also this thing is like, oh, am I, gonna, am I not going to drink forever now? Yeah. So I you, think that thing that they say like one day at a time, that's super true. Yeah. Like living in the present and just like focusing on what you need to do right now. So Moment um, by moment. Yeah. But how did that help you getting a therapist? She helped guide my instincts. I think she helped. She listened to me and kind of gave me a structure, you know, and, and, and kind of allowed me to experiment with not drinking in a, in a supportive environment. It wasn't just me since I wasn't going to meetings. Um, and, and also, you know, I think this is, it, I, I was on an abuse, which I brought up a lot. I think that's, Something you can talk to a therapist or your doctor about is either going on anabuse or naloxone. There's no shame in that. Even the fact that you even have to say that is bullshit. But anabuse makes you really, 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 really sick if you drink on it. And naloxone takes away the pleasure when you drink in the, in the drinking itself. So it kind of rewires your reward centers in your brain. Do you recommend getting a dog your first 90 yeah. days? <laughs> so they can bark in the background of your podcast? Yeah. Okay. So getting a therapist, getting on like medication. If you think that, that works all seems for you. Like, yeah. That seems a lot. That's like a lot. That's a big commitment. You and it so? costs money Those all too. things do are financial yeah. obligations. Also, it's hard to find therapists. It requires a lot of effort. You need to find somebody that you get along with, that you that trusts you, that's not, that's listening to you because I think there are therapists out there that are just like, yeah, yeah, you've got to do X, Y, Z, period. And, you know, I think it's important to find someone that will listen to you and respect what you have to say and feel about your situation. Yeah, but I guess I see, like, your point, like, you're actually, like, putting some skin in the game then if you're, like, paying money for all this stuff. Yeah. No, I think it, it... it requires, yeah, you're, you're, I don't know, committing to it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, commitment. <laughs> but I suppose you're going to say, spe- you know, you're going to save a lot of money, like not drinking and not doing drugs. So, and not taking cabs and not, well, and not that you're taking many cabs now, but not like getting takeout food for when you're like hungry at three in the morning and tons of things you're not saving that you're saving money on. But so, I was in a situation where I had like a good therapist and then I moved and I can, it's like hard finding a therapist, like you said. So say you don't want to do that. Yeah. Because also the other thing with like a therapist is how do you like find the community? Right. So that's, it's interesting. Like I thought I was just going to go it alone and like, I have that kind of a like nature about me anyway of just figuring shit out by myself. But my therapist recommended I find a community. And I think that that's, you know, I think 
in your first 90 days, uh, it's you can experiment with going to different meetings. And now online, that just means you get to go to meetings around the world, which is pretty cool. Yeah, I think that's pretty cool. Have you like dropped in on any meetings? No, I've been meaning to. Have you? No, I, I, <laughs> I was like, I haven't really been going to that many meetings. Uh-huh. Um, I've just, you know. It's getting a little Groundhog's day <laughs> But uh, yeah, I think it'd be cool. I want to go to some California meetings <laughs> and then yeah. maybe just some meetings in like, you know, the middle of the country, maybe oh, a yeah. Texas meeting. Yeah, totally. Like, I want to try out different meetings. Or I guess like there's international meetings too. Yeah. Like a London. London meeting. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So I think it's going to meetings. I would also check out online meetings that are in your city or town or whatever, like a place where you would, you know, potentially go to in person when this all lets up so that you can meet people and kind of get the sense of who's there and who you like. And, and I think it's, it's, it's like dating, like finding a therapist. It's again, trusting yourself and seeing what feels safe to you and where you feel welcome and where you feel like you want to share and where you want to make friends and what, where you like what people are saying. And if you don't like any of that stuff, that's okay. Try something. I else. guess it's like a lot harder now when it's online because you, so? you can't get like a super good feeling. I sometimes. think you can. I think you can probably get a good sense of like our local New York City meetings when you go to them. I suppose. I think we're just yeah. so used to them that we don't we can't see it anymore. No, but I'm like very cognizant when uh, like new people or people that I don't know yeah. join the meetings. Yeah, it's like a little too like inside baseball-y sometimes when you just have like a core group of people in there. So I can see as right. like a new person, I see new people like when I was going to the meetings, like I'll see new people join and not say anything and then just bounce. Or like stay there for a little bit and bounce. Mm-hmm. So I guess like as, I mean, this isn't for the person who's like a beginner, but like people who are like at these meetings, I guess that's something I'm always super cognizant of, of new people coming to these meetings because it's it sucks like when you're beginning. first trying yeah. to get sober and going to these meetings. At least for me, it did because obviously you're like admitting that you have a problem, mm-hmm. like you're trying to find help. There's you know, like ashamed. I was ashamed of it. I didn't want to be there, you know, at first. And so, like, yeah, a lot of that stuff is, like, I don't want to go to a meeting and, like, talk to people. No. And especially, like, online, it just seems like it'd be really weird to me. I think online would be easier, actually, for me. I remember going to my first, my friend, a friend of mine brought me to my first AA meeting, and I was so scared. I was, like, shaking. I was so scared. (laughs) I didn't want anyone looking at me. I didn't want anyone talking to me. I didn't want to have to say I'm an alcoholic. I didn't want to have to hold Uh, anyone's hands. I just wanted to be a fly on the wall. and like, no, I didn't want anyone to, like, acknowledge my presence. Yeah. Okay, I could see that. I could see how, like, online would be a little bit easier then. Then you kind of get the lay of the land and get, you can warm up to it a bit more and get more comfortable with what's going on and what the language is and the vibe. You know, one of the things when I was doing early sobriety, not that it was online like Zoom meetings, because like, you know, I don't know if that was a thing back then. No, I don't think But I did go on Reddit a lot. There's like a stop drinking. Oh, we'll link to that in our Subreddit. Oh my God, it's great. Yeah. And they also give you a badge on there. It's a counter. And so you can see like how many days you have and like people are checking in and you can like go in and check in and say like, you know, uh, this, how I'm doing. And, uh, 
their whole tagline is like, I will not drink with you today. Oh, that's good. And like so that. there's like an acronym that whatever those letters are, they put it. I-W-N-D-T. <laughs> I really felt like I had to do that. Wow, that was good. Yeah. You can spell. Nice. I'm impressed. <laughs> All right, moving on. But yeah, Reddit's great. Just be careful when you get on Reddit. There's a lot of demons on Reddit. Yeah, I mean, Reddit's great, but <laughs> we don't have to go into that. But <laughs> Well, I think, okay, so I think it's like experiment with going to meetings when you're feeling comfortable, maybe you try and push yourself. I think all of this, you always have to push yourself. It's like, but like the thing with like the meetings, it's the foundation of like why you're doing this stuff is to like meet people, right? Or to find community and to hear other people. Oh, yeah. Why do you go to meetings to begin with? I guess it's to meet other people who are experiencing what you're experiencing and can give you advice, helpful tips and tricks. Oh, okay. And also to make friends. And and I think we should go into that too. But, you know, like that's where you find your sponsor if you want one or accountability buddy or yeah. a wise friend. So there's, I think that's important to talk about. There's all kinds of different relationships within sobriety. It's not just sponsor or not. You know, I think sponsors are in the realm of 12-step exclusively. And it means a very specific thing. And I believe it's more hierarchical. They tell you. But what, what is to it? Do What's more. a sponsor? So I'm probably They're like the, a person. I'm the like, worst person to answer this question. Why don't you answer this since you've had a sponsor? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess a sponsor is like when you the twelfth step is once you've had the spiritual awakening and you know had some time of sobriety, one year sober then you carry that message to other alcoholics, right? And so I think that's the spirit behind it is that you're helping other people go through the same process that you went through. To go through the 12 steps. Yeah, but I think that's one of the nice things about AA is that there's so many people that want to be your sponsor. Because like once you get to the 12th step, then you should be a sponsor. It's been like leading up to that. Yeah, so I think like that was one thing that I found I know like we don't follow AA, but there are there are certain things about it that were cool. Like as a newcomer, there's so many people who are super friendly. And at least, I, you know, not all the meetings, but a lot of the meetings that I went to, you raise your hand, you say you're a newcomer and like tons of people want to come up to you and talk to you. They want to give you your phone number. Yeah. And that's like a really nice thing. But then, yeah, of course you should be careful of who you choose as your sponsor, because that can be a very, that's a major relationship for you. Yeah, I um, think it, you can take time deciding. For sure, yeah. And it, again. It's like dating. It's like dating. Every, all of this is analogous to dating. Everything in life is dating. <laughs> uh, it's awkward and it's painful. Uh, no. <laughs> no, I think it's, it is that that whole like finding someone who has what you want I think that's a good, Yeah, that's what they say, right? So someone who has like a kind of magic about them, it's spirits. I wouldn't say they have the job you want or the boyfriend you want. It's more of the energy and the radiating like heart energy that you want, you know, as opposed to material things. Sure. Um, But yeah, I think that that, you know, in in our, our fellowship, Recovery Dharma, we have something called 
Well, we kind of have both. We have something called mentorship, which is a little bit more closer to sponsors. Like, for instance, I have a mentor because the person I work with knows a ton, ton more than me. So they're definitely my mentor. And then we have wise friends. And Nick and I are wise friends. And there are people who are just going along the path with you. And you like to hang out and you like to talk and you like to get coffee together. And when you're feeling like shit and your brain is saying crazy things to you, you can call that person and be like, you, I just got to get this out of my head. Will you listen to yeah. me? I mean, you can do that with your sponsor, your mentor too. But, you know, I think in my experience my wise friends know more about my day-to-day bullshit you know this boy called me or he didn't or my boss or my parents or whatever like all the nitty-gritty stuff that's like what I talked I mean it's all different yeah people can have those relationships with their sponsors too but like going back to like we're talking about like a beginning of sobriety yeah like the number one thing you're talking about all the time is just not doing drugs and not drinking right you know and so like for me it was like when I, you know, had so many urges to do it at the beginning, Mm. like I was slipping so many times that, uh, it would just be the person I talked to whenever I had like a craving come up, you know? Okay. And that's another kind of good relationship to have are these like accountability buddies. And again, your sponsor can be an accountability buddy. Your wise friend can be an accountability buddy, whatever. Or it could just be someone you meet at a meeting and get their number and say, can we text each other? I guess like, you know, you mentioned this before, like the hierarchy. AA is very hierarchical. Right. And like there's these defined things. It comes from like the patriarchy. It's very like uh, there's layers to it, right? When I had like a sponsor, there he had a, a sponsor and they were like the grand sponsor and it was like this family and it was like yes. this whole thing, right? Family, and there's yeah. very like defined roles in a family that people have versus like an RD, we are Recovery not Recovery drama. Yeah. In recovery dharma, we are anti-hierarchies. We're all about, I don't know how you term this, the collective. Community-led, grassroots, yes. Right, yeah, it's the opposite of that. So I don't know. I do find it helpful to have, like, a defined person because, like, there are so many times where I was just like, oh, man, I really want to drink. And my sponsor was like, well, if you ever want to drink, you can go ahead and do it, but just call me first before you do it. You know, and that was so helpful for me to have like this one person that I could, oh, okay, anytime I could text them or call them. And if they weren't there, then I would like, that was their role, right? And then as time goes on, I think there's like other people and like, say like they can't answer the phone there, you'll have like other people. But I do, I think I would just maybe add that to your answer on this Mm -hmm. is that it's sort of helpful to have like defined roles sometimes. Mm, Yeah. And I, but I, like, I think that can be those roles. Like say you came into recovery Dharma as opposed to AA or you're an AA and you haven't balanced bouncer yet. You can find people who will help you through this first 90 days as well, who will text you and call you and stuff. But I think you do not agree with that having like one main person. I just never experienced it. Mm. So it wasn't my, yeah, I didn't use that. But when it came up for you, like when you wanted to drink or do something, like what did you do? I said it out loud to a friend, which is what you're basically <laughs> saying. It's the same thing. Yeah. But so, it wasn't like uh, it was just one of your friends from my like your life. Yeah. Not like a recovery, like sober friend. Right. Because I think my first 90 days, I wasn't in a community. 
Uh, okay. All right. Yeah. So maybe we should talk about that. Cravings. Yeah. Or just not being in a community, right? Because I think you're right. Like I'm coming at it from being in a program and there's like these defined things on it. And I think maybe like the spirit of this email is like maybe from more from your point of view of somebody who's not doing this defined program. Right. Because if you're in the program, then you have all the answers, I guess. Yeah. (laughs) You do. Yeah. You have much, have much more of like a framework. So I do think finding friendship is important. Even though I did it, I don't think it's the easiest way to go about it. I think I was on an abuse, which helped a lot. And I, the second time I got sober, I managed to take it, you know, actually, no, that I did have a couple slips. What the fuck am I talking about? But I think I, I think saying things out loud, kind of telling your friends what the, if you, you have non-recovery friends who are being supportive of you during that time, you can say, listen, every once in a while, I just need to tell you, like, I really, really want to have like a really cold bottle of wine right now, or like, I need to go smoke a joint or whatever it is, whatever your substance is or whatever. And, you know, it doesn't mean I'm going to do it. I just need to get it out of my brain so I don't actually do it. And maybe you can like talk to me or go for a walk with me on a walk with me or whatever. Like, just, you know, like, don't freak out. Just be there to hear that information. Uh, I guess that's an interesting thing. And that's like another difference between me and you is that uh, I didn't tell like my friends, my normal friends that I was getting sober. It was like a secret thing. Oh, Like yeah. I was going to all these things in secret. Okay. And so... That was difficult, but that's why, like, um, I don't know. What do you recommend on that? Do you recommend, like, telling everybody? I think it's up to you. I think you can say the thing of, I don't, I'm, I'm not, I'm trying not, I'm going to experiment with not drinking and see how that, you know, see what happens. Or, you know, it, it, you don't have to say, like, today is the last day I'm drinking forever. You know, you can just say, I'm going to try not to drink today and I'm going to try not to drink tomorrow, you know, and on and on. And then when you feel comfortable saying, this feels like a really good lifestyle for me, I don't think I'll ever drink again. You know, you can get there or not. You can still be day to day for the rest of your life. That sounds exhausting, but it doesn't have to be either. I think that's super chill. Yeah. I would like, I would like that. Yeah. Uh, As opposed to the way that I did it which is go into these rooms and you announce to everyone, I'm an alcoholic. Right. This is like this disease that I have right. that I'm like afflicted with the rest of my life. Right. And as like my sobriety has, has gone on, I don't necessarily like agree with that. I don't think it is this disease that's yeah. like doing push-ups in the parking lot when I'm in a meeting and just, you know, getting stronger. Um, I like this idea that you have of just saying like, I'm trying this on and this is a new way of living for me as opposed to being like, there's something wrong with me. So I think cravings is a good way to talk about a recovery toolkit and what that looks like. Okay. Do do you know what a recovery toolkit is? No. (laughs) Like shit you do when you're in recovery. I think it's, it's the things that in a moment of duress or in a craving you can reach to, to help you. So, uh, okay, cool. Yeah. So say, should I thing? do know what this is then? Okay. So I think, I mean, one of my therapists advice to me at some point, it was, it was fairly recent actually. What, when I was kind of overloaded was to just go about my day and see what feels good to me and what doesn't. So what fills my cup 
like makes me feel good and replenished and then what empties my cup and what so what makes me feel anxious or frustrated or takes my energy away and just like make a list every day at the end of the day or you can just keep an ongoing list in your phone whatever works for you and then and, and the important thing is to notice what is going on in your body and this is just like a good mindfulness practice so when you're going through your day and you talk to someone think what you just like notice what's going on in your body you know is it neutral do you feel good or like when you anticipate talking to somebody how does your body feel that kind of thing or when you're about to eat a certain kind of food like pay attention to how you feel afterwards too when you're digesting that food how your body feels I think we are so focused on what our brain is telling us all the time and your brain has all of this loaded information that's not necessarily correct from your upbringing and the, you know, the stuff that happened to you when you were in active addiction and all of that. So I think your body is very wise and we don't listen to it enough. And that can help you create your recovery toolkit. So do you like write this stuff down? Yeah. So like when you have a feeling or a craving come up. Right. Well, I think it's like first you, you, I mean, you're kind of like, okay. And also what led to that craving? That's like a whole other thing. But I think when you're noticing what your body is doing for things, if you're just dreading something or you feel excited or whatever, like you can make a list of these things and these things can help you when you're feeling down or want a craving. So like there's specific friends I talk to. Not all of my friends, specific ones. And I know I like to dance to music in my apartment. So like that can help me. Wait, yeah. so walk me through how this, so I'm feeling like anxious and I want to drink. Right. And so you want to drink. So, I mean, there's a, there's a whole other, we can talk about mindfulness when it comes to a craving as well. But the, I think these are two different avenues you can go. You can try and just get through the craving by doing something you enjoy. Say, like, you also, also really like, favorite kind of lighthearted movies are another good distraction. Wait, but is this all, like, recovery toolkit? Yes. Okay. I think so. Well, I thought you were saying, like, we, you should write something down. Well, I think you write, you, you have to investigate and be curious about yourself in order to create your recovery toolkit. So you're doing some research about yourself to even know what helps you. Got it. Does that make sense? Yeah. I think recovery toolkit is all the shit you do to not drink. Yeah. Okay. All right. But you have to like investigate what those things could, would be that would help you. Uh, I don't know. For me, it's like go exercise. Yep. Exercise is good. Yeah. Or like eat some food. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay. These are ways to distract yourself, which is like one tool. Oh, okay. What are you supposed to do? No, I'm just saying that's one tool is to distract yourself from those feelings. Yeah. Uh, I guess meditate. Mm -hmm. That's like, that would be not distracting myself. That would be like sitting with it, like mindfulness. Yeah. That's hard to do. It's very hard to do, especially You in know, the that's hard to do when you're like in early sobriety. Yeah. I, it, I think first like. First 90 days, I wouldn't really be sitting in your crate. I think that's a good. No, dude. I'd be eating like a shitload of candy, which is like what I did. Yeah. I ate a lot of ice cream. <laughs> yeah. And I think that that's, I think that's an important thing to get into too. I hope this is not too like all over the place, but 
I ate a shit ton of ice cream. I mean, I lost a bunch of weight when I first stopped drinking from not imbibing the calories from alcohol, but then I like gained it back from like eating to deal with cravings. Um, and that's okay. Cause I think it's really important to be kind to yourself in early sobriety, you know? Yeah. And to not judge yourself too much and kind of treat yourself. Well, I think that's like the whole thing because I don't know. Getting sober at the beginning, at least for me, is kind of like, I think we're talking about it from like a whole different perspective now, right? Because it's been like five or so years that we've been on this path of recovery, right? Yeah, it's hard. And we're kind of like, oh, this is super cool. I love being sober. We started a podcast about being sober. Being sober is the best, you know? (laughs) But I didn't feel like that when I was first getting sober. I was like, this fucking sucks. Like, I want to do this. This sucks. You know what I mean? You got to find cool stuff to do when you're getting sober because the feeling of it when you're doing it is like, I'm not going out. I'm not like hanging out with my friends. I'm not drinking. I'm not using drugs anymore. I just got to stay at home by myself because I'm afraid to go out places. You know what I mean? So I think when you talk about, of course, like doing meditation and like get tapping into your feelings and all this kind of stuff is good stuff down the line. But I would, I I just never did that shit my first 90 days. No, I mean, honestly, a big tool for me and my quote unquote recovery tool kit, I wouldn't have called it that because I didn't do any of this work then, (laughs) (laughs) was naps. I slept so much. Yeah, so that's what I'm saying. Let's get real with this shit, not this like recovery (laughs) toolkit bullshit. I think, well... I I think it's a, I think it's good to make like a list of things you can do instead of drink or whatever it is. Yeah. And I honestly like I took a but ton that's what of I'm naps saying, like, and a ton of long like showers. Eating ice cream, uh, eating candy, like jacking off. Oh, masturbation. Because like. <laughs> it also but makes I'll you like, feel good. You know, but yeah, but then you get and then you get into this point where it's all these things that I'm doing. These aren't good things either objectively if you're going to put right. a value on it you know right. what i mean they're, they're um, yeah i mean and that's like a that's a conversation we've had many times in this podcast i think but like second you get you you get to learn your secondary addictions right I yeah think. but and then I you're like to be honest i think and it. it's like you know yeah at the beginning it's kind of like the number one thing is not drinking or doing drugs you know what i mean right. so anything else is kind of okay i think yeah i you know obviously i think it's it's the whole quit what will kill you fastest first, however you say that. So for me, it was drinking and then pot and then mm, probably sugar food and then shopping. And then now I'm working on like men and dating. I keep thinking I'm done with like working on the men stuff, but it's, yeah, it becomes clear to me that I'm not. Yeah, that shit will kill you. (laughs) But you got to like do some fun shit. You know what I mean? Even now, especially in quarantine, being by yourself, I'm doing all sorts of shit that I wasn't doing when I wasn't in quarantine, you know? Like what? Like eating ice cream, like a lot. Mm -hmm. Ben and Jerry's, Stephen Colbert's. I like Cherry Garcia. Uh, Yeah, I I don't like the cherry one, but... I've had them both. This is just the one that I like. Okay. I don't know. I'm not a big fan of cherry in my ice cream for some reason. Very good. I don't think I like cherry just in general. They have those big chocolate chunks in it. It's good. Yeah. So I think this is like going off topic, but like (laughs) when you feel bad, like you do stuff to make yourself feel better, right? Right. And And like maybe at the beginning, those things aren't 
the best things. But then eventually, like you get in these routines. And I remember there was this whole period in my life where I was like exercising, lifting weights, meditating, like, you know, on top of my shit. And like, I know those were the times in my life that I felt just the best, like in flow and doing that, you know, but it's like gradual and it's kind of like, you know, taking baby steps to get there. Yeah. And just not being so hard on yourself. I think that's big time. We're talking about all these things that you can do that will get you out of your craving or distract you from your craving. And those things necessarily are like putting shit on your credit card or eating shitty food. But the most important thing is to not drink or do drugs and get yourself through that craving. And then you can, when, when you have that on solid ground, then you can start looking at everything else. Yeah, for sure. Cause you're saying as this time goes on, your brain does change It does when it doesn't have it gets that easier like, not to drink. Yeah. When you don't have that shit, like in your body, like the cravings, the cravings are still there, but they're not chemical cravings, you know? Yeah. I also think a good, I think that feels good and is a reason why it's part of recovery programs is service, which is basically helping other people. Oh uh, yeah. That's a good one. And I think even in your 90 days, first 90 days, you can do that because it makes you feel good. It gives you endorphins to help people. So even, and I'm saying like, I don't know how much you're going out in the world, but even holding the door for somebody or like helping an old lady with her groceries or whatever, simple things throughout the day will give you that little burst and make you feel good. And that stuff adds up. Yeah. And you and can especially, do, yeah. Oh no, I was going to say like, it's like when we're, we were talking about meetings at the beginning, that was something I did get to help me go to meetings was take on like a service commitment. Oh, because yeah, that's when there's physical meetings, but yeah. But I suppose like online meetings too, you need people to like chair the meetings or you need people to read the stuff. Right. And so, yeah, I think stick around after the meeting and talk to the chair of the meeting, the online meeting and mm -hmm. see like, hey, I want to get involved. There's something I can do. And, that's and there's always stuff to do. And that's a good way to make friends. Yeah, for which sure. Which is like very important and something it would have been helpful for me to do sooner in my recovery because it also gives you this model of, look, life's going to be okay. You know, I want to be sober. I want to be friends with these people, you know? Yeah. And then you don't feel, you feel like you're part of that community instead yeah. of like this tourist kind of like outsider, which I was for a long time where I'm just like, yeah, I don't know if I'm going to actually do this. I'm just like here to spectate, you know? Putting your toe in the water. Yeah, exactly. I think staying after meetings and just saying like, I would like to take a couple numbers that may feel strange, but it's normal in this world to take a couple people's phone numbers and just kind of getting their perspective and just being like, you know, this time of day is particularly hard for me. Do you mind if I text you or whatever? I, that, that is always welcome. And it makes, speaking of service, that's considered an act of service by the other person and it makes them feel good. And it, it's part of the tradition of recovery is helping other people. So it's expected and desired from everybody else. So you can ask people for help because they are looking to give it. Dude, it's the best like helping people. I know. It feels really good. It because so it good. gets you like, well, I mean, the number one thing for me is when I'm like in my own shit and like in my own head, that's when I feel bad. And that's why yeah. all like the neuroses and like yeah. thinking of the past and the future and all that stuff comes up. But when you're like with somebody and really present with that person, you all that shit like falls away. You don't think of any of that stuff. That's true. That's true. 
Another way of meeting people, I think, is, you know, if there's these huge, these, these profiles and there's this huge world of Instagram sobriety or sober Instagram. And so you can find some of those people. You could, if you don't know them, you can go on our profile and you can obviously comment and share there too, but you can also see who we follow and see who inspires you and, and post, you know, like a comment on one of these profiles and say, would anyone here want to do like an accountability chat and then set up like a chat with three or four people, you know, on whatever platform you choose as a way of just like having multiple people and an ongoing chat. I think that would be like a good idea. Hopefully I don't sound like too much of a mom, like kids, that's a fun idea. Why don't you do this accountability chat? But I, I'm like, that seems like, it. you know, I think it would be fun to have four or five kind of people you don't really know from across the country or whatever, kind of checking in with each other. Obviously you have to use your instincts as someone's safe or not and kick them out of the chat if they're not, but. I mean, yeah, it sounds like a good idea. It's not something I would, but maybe. I, you wouldn't do it, but. Maybe. I just like don't, I mean, I am a millennial, but I don't use Instagram as much, but I see the appeal of it. I mean, there's tons of like community on Instagram. Yeah, there is. And there's, and there's like so community. many people. Yeah, tons of sober community. It's a little like, I guess for me, it was, I don't know, I mean, just like bluntly, like Instagram's very woman, white woman. It's a lot of like that type of community. Mm. And I think now like we've been seeing the BIPOC, like black community yep. and being exposed to those other communities. So I think like maybe that's a thing that, again, like I'm not as like in it, so I'm not as exposed to it. But I guess it was important for me to find people who are like me. Yes. You know what I mean? Yes, yes, yes. Um, when I was in early sobriety, because like, otherwise it's like, you're talking about like super personal shit, you know? Yeah. And I think, you know, I guess you could reach out to people on the internet and start a chat like that, but it just seems like you would have to like really know that person. And yeah. I could see knowing that person through their Instagram feed. It's just, I don't really resonate with that. No, I'm not, and I'm not saying to like hook up with the person that like is running the account. It's more the other followers. Oh, yeah. interesting. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I thought you were talking about like uh, the people who are running the account. No. So like other people who follow that account. And there's a, uh, I, I, I read the comments on a lot of these posts and I see that there is some community there and there's some back and forth and some dialogue. So I could easily see how friendships could be created. Yeah, for sure. But oh, I, that seems really cool. I agree that, you know, for me, it was important to, and now I see myself reflected fucking everywhere and I'm tired of it, but, uh, <laughs> So, but no, I think, I think in early recovery, it's important to see yourself and to see, hear your experiences coming out of other people's mouths. It's validating and it kind of makes you see the next steps, right? It just helps with your sobriety, right? Because a lot of times I couldn't see myself in the other person, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's cool. Like read the comments and see like if people are saying cool shit. That's the number one thing. It's like you hang out at all these places and hear the people who you're like clicking with. And then you're like, oh, this person seems really cool. I'm going to like right. try and strike up a conversation with this person. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And the other thing, I mean, the only other thing I have to say, I don't know if there's anything else, Nick, that you are inspired to say is, and it's one of our main messages of this podcast is to trust yourself and what's good for you in sobriety. I think 
you know, if you enter 12 step, that's great. If it works for you, that's great. If the whole program works for you to a T, that's awesome. But if it doesn't, that's okay too. You can pick and choose programs. There's smart recovery. Obviously there's recovery dharma there. You know, you can go to all of the meetings and do whatever you want from them. Like pick what you like and leave the rest and don't make anyone feel bad about it. Make you feel bad about it. You know what's best for your recovery. Yeah, I guess it's, I mean, you're a perfect example of that because you didn't really do any programs really at the beginning. Right. I used, yeah, I used. You were like going to see a therapist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think historically people with addiction are told that they can't trust themselves and that's, that's told subliminally. It's told very directly through every, in everything in movies and books and just how people respond to you and talk to you and all of it. So it's a relearning but I think Nick and I are here to tell you that you can trust your instincts. And, you know, if you don't like something that will ultimately be detrimental to you in your recovery. So you have to, you should listen to yourself. Yeah. And I mean, I think that's the best part of getting sober is like, it's yes. actually the first time that I was like, oh shit, like taking away like all the layers of like bullshit that I put on top of myself which like the drugs and the alcohol was like on top of that too, you know? Yeah. And so getting to know like the real you. Mm-hmm. Um, and respecting that person. Yeah. Which is hard to do. It's, a, it's an ongoing like, journey. Yeah. But uh, I think if, if someone's making you feel bad about something or making you feel guilty or shameful, just remember our voice is telling you that you don't have to listen to them. And that you should protect yourself and listen to your instincts. Is that it? Any more tips and tricks besides, what was it, Ben and Jerry's Stephen Colbert ice cream? <laughs> um, I think if this is something like you really want to do, I think committing to it is probably like the number one thing. I wish I would told myself that when I was first trying to do this. Well, I mean, we do I tell people like, that you can do a day at a time and not commit to it really too. You're committing to like that one day, but like yes. really think about like point. the reasons like why you're doing it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think for me, like, I think it's going back to like trusting yourself. And like, I think I can get like, look back and the reasons like it didn't work for me is because I was like doing it for some reason that wasn't true to myself. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? I was doing it like for other people or like, this is what I thought I was supposed to be doing, but it wasn't actually coming from me. Mm-hmm. It was coming from like external things, you know? Mm-hmm. And so like that will never actually like stick until like you actually want to do that. So I think going back to like the original thing in this email that we got from this person, like they really wanted to yeah. do this. And like, I w- it's like there was like a maturity to like what they were asking that I yeah. just didn't have. No. I mean, I probably still don't have that, but um <laughs> I think that's the most important thing is being like, oh, shit, you know, I'm doing this because I really like respect myself and my life. And I want something more than what I've been doing right now. You know, this um, serves me not drinking serves me or not doing whatever serves me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which is hard to do when you're feeling shitty and like you don't feel good and you don't feel good about yourself, you know? Yeah. I think like remembering that and like the reasons why you're doing it and just remembering like you're an awesome person. Yeah. And I think struggle, there's gifts of struggle. 
I think you learn a lot when you struggle. And I know this sounds so easy to say, but when you're struggling and you're doing something that you know is good for you, the the inherent the struggle inherently like teaches you something and you know you can get through difficulty and that's a muscle that you build for later in life when you have other difficulties you learn how to trust yourself that you can get through that discomfort and that struggle yeah and that's pretty beautiful cool all right all right that's it for this week if any of y'all want to send us messages or questions or just tell us that you love us when we sit here without air conditioning in our apartments for the benefit of your sound quality, you can find us on social media at at Podcast, or you can go to our website, which is sober.company. You can put that right in your browser and you'll find us. What else? Please subscribe, rate, share with your friends. You can also write us comments on there. Please check out the show notes. I'll put a ton of resources in there of stuff we talk about. Maybe even including some Instagram profiles that we like. And our music is by John Tessier, courtesy of Sid So Sounds. And that's it. If you're in your first 90 days, we are rooting for you. We believe in you. Sobriety is awesome. That's it. <laughs> Good night. You know, oh my fucking God. <laughs> Jim, bring that over here. Come here. <laughs>